Welcome back to Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we traumatize ourselves so you don't have to. I'm Dax. I'm Mary Beth. And today we are subjecting ourselves to quite a film. <laughs> uh, it is Pier Paolo Pasolini, or Triple P, as I like to call him. Uh, <laughs> You've heard of Triple H, but have you heard of Triple P? <laughs> You've heard of Triple D. <laughs> Get ready for it. Uh, yeah, so Pierre Paolo Pasolini's 1975 yep. film, uh, Salo or The 120 Days of Sodom, based on a an unfinished book, right, by the Marquis de Sade, or Marquis de Sade, some people say. Wrong people. Yes, this is also Pasolini's final film, um, and it is thought that he was killed for making this movie. There's a lot of weird conspiracy theories around this, around his death and around this movie. Yeah, I wanted um, to talk about that. Yeah, but, okay. What a pair. Marquis de Sade and Pierre Paolo Pasolini. What a pair. They deserve each other. Yeah, so, okay, let me read this. Let me read the synopsis of 120 Days of Sodom because I have a lot of feelings about this movie for a lot of reasons and I'm very excited to yell about them because I have a lot of opinions about Pasolini which is probably the most pretentious thing I've ever said um (laughs) can I just share with you a fun fact yes please um the Marquis de Sade started writing this book from jail (laughs) uh from jail (laughs) spoiler alert from jail um on october 22nd something which is a really important day in history do you know what day that is is it your birthday (gasps) how did you know i'm just that good i'm so transparent of course i'd make that fucking stupid joke (laughs) let's move on let's move on this one didn't work out in my favor (laughs) okay so let let us read the synopsis for Solo as a heads up trigger warnings for rape, for pedophilia, for um, bodily fluids, mm-hmm. for eating bodily fluids, um, including poop. Um, nasty, just nasty. So just get ready. Another for that. one where it's like, if can you think of a thing that would be terrible to watch in a movie? <laughs> like, Boys Don't Cry here. was like emotionally traumatizing, and this one is just like the same thing but from a very different perspective of making you watch things that are like ridiculously repulsive and you never want to watch ever again um okay feel upset just thinking about it okay yeah so excuse me so okay so Salo was split into four segments uh that and this is inspired by Dante's Divine Comedy which should really really set the scene for you for what kind of person Pasolini is so uh the first the first segment is called ante inferno Uh, in 1944 in the republic of salo the fascist occupied portion of italy four wealthy men of power the duke the bishop the magistrate and the president agree to marry each other's daughters as the first step in a debauch ritual they rule that when they get to the mansion their daughter to the mansion their daughters must be completely naked at all times 
they recruit four teenage boys to act as guards and four young soldiers called studs, cockmongers, or fuckers who are chosen because of their large penises. They then kidnap many youths of which nine young men and nine young women are handpicked and brought to a palace. So let's just see that we are basically coming to a fuck palace, everybody. A fuck palace full of children and creepy old men. My Um, face right now. (laughs) Okay. Part two. Circle of Manias. Accompanying the libertines at the palace are four middle-aged prostitutes, all women, whose job it is to orchestrate debauched interludes for the men who sadistically exploit their victims. During the day at the palace, the four men devise increasingly abhorrent tortures and humiliations for their own pleasure. During breakfast, the daughters, the young women, are enter the dining hall naked to serve the food. One of the studs trips and rapes a daughter in front of the crowd, who laughs at her cries of pain. Intrigued, the president moons several slaves before pr- prompting the stud to perform anal sex on him. Uh, Senor Vicari uses a mannequin to demonstrate to the young men and women how to properly masturbate a penis, and one of the girls tries to escape, only to have her throat cut. And then everything just continues as normal. Two of the kidnapped victims, Sergio and Renata, are forced to marry, and their moaning ceremony is interrupted when the Duke fondles several victims and the prostitutes. At the end, Sergio and Renata are forced to fondle each other, and the men rape them to stop them from having sex with each other. During this, the magistrate engages with the Duke in three-way intercourse. Another day, the victims are forced to get naked and act like dogs. When one of the victims refuses, the magistrate whips him and tortures the president's daughter by tricking her into eating a slice of of cake containing nails. That's part two. There's two more parts, y'all. All All right. So next part is circle of shit. (laughs) Please. Um, Senor Maggi relates her troubled childhood and her coprophilia which is, I believe, the eating of shit. Yes. Sexual, sorry, pardon me. Sexual arousal due to feces. Senor Maggie relates her troubled childhood and her corprophilia or her sexual arousal by poop. As she tells her story, the president notices that one of the studs has an erection and fondles him. Another stud uses a female's hand to masturbate himself. She, Senor Maggie also explains how she killed her mother over a dispute about her prostitution and Renata cries, remembering the murder of her own mother. The Duke, sexually excited at the sound of her cries, begins verbally abusing her. The Duke orders the guards and studs to undress her. During this, Renata begs begs God for death and the Duke punishes her by shitting on the floor and forcing her to eat that shit with a spoon. The president leaves to masturbate, looking himself in the goddamn eye in a mirror and just jerking off. Later, the other victims are presented with the meal of human feces during a search for the victim with the most beautiful ass. Franco is promised. Franco is picked and promised death in the future. We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> and like Franco has the most like gorgeous, like uh, interesting face in my right? opinion. But so okay, and just like as a side note, we always joke about the Wikipedia entries. This one is accurate. It sounds like bullshit because this movie is bullshit. Um. Anyway, so the last <laughs> the last circle is the circle of blood. Later, there is a black mass like wedding between the studs and the men of power. 
the men angrily, the men being the Duke, the president, the magistrate, and the bishop. Uh, these men order angrily order the children to laugh, but these kidnapped, traumatized children are too griefing, grief stricken to do so. Shocking. Too griefing. Grief They're too griefing. <laughs> New boot griefing. Um, the pianist and Senora Vacari tell dark jokes to make the victims laugh. Uh, it doesn't work because most of the jokes are about shit and all these other horrific things. The, the wedding ceremony ensues with each man of power exchanging rings with a stud. After the wedding, the bishop consummates the marriage and receives intense anal sex from his stud. Good for him. Just kidding. The bishop then leaves to examine the captives in their room where they start to systematically betray each other. Claudio reveals that Graziella is hiding a photograph. Graziella reveals that two of the other prisoners are having a, a secret sexual love affair. Victim Umberto Cesari is appointed to replace Ezio, who is shot to death for having sex with one of the staff. Everything's falling apart. So towards the end, the remaining victims are called out to determine which of them will be punished. Uh, some of them are spared to their betrayal of others. Um, others are spared due, the, due to their submissive relationships with the men in power. Those who are called, those who are called, are given a blue ribbon and sentenced to a painful death. While those who have not been called, as long as they keep collaborating with the libertines, can return home. Hope to return home. The victims huddle together and cry and pray in the bathroom. They are then taken outside and raped, tortured, and murdered through methods such as branding, branding, hanging, scalping, burning, and having their tongues and eyes cut out as each libertine takes his turn to watch as a voyeur. The, the soldiers shake hands and bid each other farewell. The pianist, looking out an open window, suddenly realizes with horror what atrocities are being committed and climbing out of the window throws herself to death. Film's final shot is of two young soldiers who have witnessed and collaborated in the atrocities. Dancing a simple waltz together, one asks the name of the other's girlfriend back home and the film ends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just looking up the word libertine um, because I wanted to see if it was used in a different way than what I think of. Like, I don't know. First, I think of that band, the libertines, but then, <laughs> then I, uh, I always understood it to mean like a, um, a free thinking like person. But when you look it up, there are other definitions. Um, so am I alone in that? Like, is that what you think of too? Well, well you no, studied this. I studied this. Um, so like libertine is basically like someone's like fucked up morally. And like, it's like, yeah, it's the opposite of that basically. But I know it, like liberty also is like liberty and it sounds like liberty. So like, I think I had thought of libertine in a similar way to you before I uh I saw this movie when I was in grad school um yeah I've never really heard that first of all I've rarely heard that word used well, so okay yes so okay so an important thing to note here in this movie is that this is the adaptation this is 
Pasolini's adaptation of the book, the book by Marquis de Sade, but he takes the context and places it during World War II um, with like, I think at the beginning, it's like the fascists are leaving um, an occupied, uh, occupied, (laughs) Nazi occupied part of Italy. And so this is sort of speaking to the context of Italy post World War II and the effects of fascism on the country and Pasolini did a lot of stuff about that in his in his work because he was making films in this time period like post-world war ii and had a lot to say about the effects of fascism on like the italian like national on italian nationalism and his perspective and like their perspectives on art and a lot of his work is kind of spitting in the face of like traditional ideas of art in Italy, in Italy, um, he was also like, a communist, right? Am I making yeah. that up? No, he was pretty like, yeah, he was a communist, and he was pretty like vocal, a, vo- a vocally like, oh, I don't extremist is the wrong word, but like he was very politically active and very like anti-establishment. The way like things were in Italy at the time, um, he's Catholic shocking and he had a lot of internalized homophobia and was also a pedophile a catholic pedophile wow what so pasolini um okay so in grad school i took a class on just pasolini because i needed credit i needed i needed to fill my schedule and there was two options and this was the one that sounded cool because i knew about solo and i thought fuck it what might be interesting biggest mistake of my life the entire um, class for like a whole was semester on Pasolini it was wow. on Pasolini yeah okay. and I knew nothing really about him I knew he was an Italian director I knew he directed Solo I had not seen Solo but I thought this will be interesting because if the guy the guy who directed Solo like there's got to be some really interesting stuff about who he is as a director and as a person like why would like what would motivate someone to make a movie like this <laughs> So the professor that I had uh, was a very old, short Italian man who was the worst. (laughs) (laughs) How so? So he... He was one of those professors that was like, had no flexibility. So like if something, I had like, this is going to be TMI. I had the worst food poisoning of my life when I was in his class. Like I could not move without absolutely shitting everywhere. Like it was a nightmare. So I couldn't come to class because if I came to class, I wouldn't make it. And so I told him, Hey, I really cannot come. I'm so sorry. And then he like docked points off of my grade because I couldn't come come in, even though I emailed him with plenty of notice and said, I literally cannot leave my apartment thought I was lying. Um, and he also was, just, he was just not understanding about a lot of things, but my biggest problem was that when we were reading about Pasolini, we, you know, in our readings and in our, our discussion about him, it was revealed that he was, um, a pedophile in that he basically had sex and fell in love with young boys who were under the age of 18. There's a 15 year old, I believe that he fell in love with. And I took I took some, like, we said that casually and just moved on in the conversation. And I was like, actually, excuse me. Hello. Can we discuss that? Like a little bit more of the fact that like he was having sex with like boys and like the context of his movies, especially solo. And my professor and I got into an argument about needing to discuss him as like, not necessarily like a bad director, but like 
looking at his legacy as him having like pedophilic tendencies and like he has like some issues with his politics that should be addressed and my professor hated me the rest of the semester hated me because I deigned to say in class and in the blackboard post that hey I think it's important that we discuss these problems with Pasolini's past because I think it has a lot to, like the context of that also has a lot to do with like a lot of the things in his films and how he addresses sex and like gay characters I didn't go over very well <laughs> at all because especially like in this like there's this tendency with Pasolini that I've seen because he's done like he did the film called uh, Teorema, which uh, stars Terrence Stamp about a family who is basically a stranger comes and the, the, the stranger comes and like infiltrates his family and seduces every single member of the family. And then how that seduction affects each member of the family. He does a, a series of books, a series of movies based off of religious texts. And they're all about like, hold on. I'm getting this wrong. I need to pull it up. Uh, in plain sight. My contribution to this right now is when you said Pasolini's past, I was like, Pasolini's pastellini. Hey. Country boy. I love you. Um Anyway, he directed um, Lizzie Cameron, the Canterbury, the Canterbury Tales, and A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. So he took a lot of these, like, and he did Oedipus Rex. He took existing texts and, like, adapted them into, kept their kind of, like, their historical context, but made them much more exaggerated, like, sexually for the time period because he was really all about, like, pushing the bound. It was weird. Like, he wanted to push boundaries with sex, but also was, like, weirdly regressive in some of his sexual politics. He's a very confusing person. I don't understand him. Whatever. But this all kind of, like, comes to a point with Solo, where Solo is basically a movie where everything and nothing happens, and he's trying to create this critique on the decadence of the the like the leading upper classes and the like the horrific decadence and like what comes like what comes out of that decadence and I think what's really interesting about that though is there's a hypocrisy I think in that film from him because there's a lot of sex with minors and he is very much like he and he had a lot of sex with minors so I feel like this is very weird like kind of hypocritical contradiction going on in this movie and I think it's fucking pretentious he reminds me of um I don't know if you're like aware of this but there's like a weird like uh right wing like uh part of punk rock um because Mm -hmm. they basically think of themselves as so left that they they like go right back around to right Mm -hmm. so they're like such free thinkers and so anti uh fascism that they end up back around at fascism that's similar to this yeah i i would agree with that especially with solo i think that he thought he was really doing something and um i don't think he did (laughs) 
I don't know. I, I, I think, well, we'll get into he, it. I know but. he did. I think I just am better about that whole class. I think that class made me really sour towards Pasolini and think of him as I, the way that the, my professor like worshipped everything about Pasolini. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like what, what is, ha- like, what are you seeing that I'm not, that like is not translating to me in terms of like you seeing him as a genius and I'm seeing him as a guy who's having a girl eat shit off of the floor with the spoon. I, yeah. So I guess I should say I've never seen, I don't think I've seen any of his other movies. This is my only like movie that I know that I've seen Mm -hmm. by him. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you consider that he was a communist and, and again, I, I told you this earlier, I don't really know a ton about him, but I know, you know, he is very anti-establishment. He's a communist. Um, and like I understand it's like I understand what he's saying like I understand that he is basically making fun of fascism and um at the same time kind of uh wagging his finger at like the rest of the world for like globalization and shit like that um but I don't know, like, I don't know how well he gets that message across. I I see it, I get it, but I think he's so dedicated to the shock factor that it, uh, some of his message is lost, and it also is, like, um, like, does it matter? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know, like, and I guess we should also point out he didn't actually like assault or hurt anybody on set, right? Like that we know of. And like I've heard that they they didn't even know they were making a disturbing movie. Yeah, I think it, <clears throat> I don't know anything about that necessarily. I know I know that like the set wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily like hostile, and I don't think it was an uncomfortable situation for anybody on set. I don't think anyone necessarily like. And again, I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think like he did kind of make it painted it like a, a like a film against fascism, not necessarily like, oh, this really shocking, disturbing movie, but more like an anti-fascist piece of work, which I like, you know, I definitely see. And I think it is a really interesting piece of anti-fascist work, but I think they he focused too much on having them like eat things of shit and have these really intense shock value parts that I think that kind of anti-fascist commentary gets lost because at the beginning it is really fucked well the whole thing is fucked up but at the very beginning it's these four creepy old dudes who are like round up the young children and bring them to this old rundown palace and so they're going through and staring at young boys young women to like figure out who they can have in their fuck palace basically where they can have orgies and they openly talk about how they hunt like how they're their henchmen hunted down these kids and hunted down their families. Like these kids were like picked on purpose and stalked and picked to bring to this place for their own, for their use and their consumption. And like, they're all very transparent about what they're using, what they're using these kids for, which is gross. But I guess at the same time, also like very, very transparent, like we are going to have a good, bad time. Um, And And for what it's worth, they also, their own children, like their own daughters, they're like passing them around. 
in the beginning they're like here you marry my daughter and you marry his daughter and like right and by marry i mean they do marry them i guess but they mean yeah well and i think that's something that's really interesting in in all of Pasolini's work but in this specifically is this gay male gaze that I, I isn't talked about a lot with Pasolini that I've seen because Pasolini, like I said, had a lot of internalized homophobia and didn't portray a lot of homosexuality in his films. And in this case, homosexuality in his film was bad. It's very, it's like, well, sex in general in this film is not portrayed as good. But um, it's this really interesting use of the gays throughout this film where like you see these old men ogling the bodies of young boys. These boys are naked and they, like he very much is, Pasolini is very focused on the way that these older men are looking at their bodies and the way that they are consuming the body. And this carries on throughout the film until the very end, which is, I think, one of the best parts of the film at the very end through the binoculars that we can talk about later. Yeah, I love that. But well, as much as you a, can. There's a really, I think, Pasolini being a gay man has this way of shooting the male body in a way that's really fascinating, but he represses it in a lot of his other work. And here you can see it come out, but it's in such a negative context. And, and like the gay, the, the gay male gaze in this movie is supposed to be predatory. It's supposed to be related to fascism. It's supposed to be really gross and make you feel dirty. And so I think there's something really fascinating about Pasolini's own homophobic like internalized homophobia with himself and how he wants to shoot the male body himself and how he wants to look at it versus how he wants to portray his his bad characters his fascist characters from looking at the male body and like in in re-watching this movie I could see a lot of like in my I couldn't I was thinking about like this, this conflict between like Pasolini between wanting to look at the male body as a work of art and also looking at the male body in a way that's repulsive. And like, it's this contradiction that exists in him that I think is most fascinating, but yeah, does that make sense? It does. And it's weird because um, contradiction is a good word because while, you know, the homosexuality is equated to evil and to fascism, it's also, it's also weirdly, he almost frames it as it being more natural than um, heterosexual like sex. In fact, if I remember correctly, isn't heterosexual sex banned while they're like on? I never got that. Oh, I think I think you're right. I think it's only like yeah, like the yeah, men are yeah. not supposed to sleep with women, which I don't get because they also have all those young girls. But then I was like, maybe they mean like the um collaborator women but like women who are I think like they also their wanted stories. all of the women to like be virgins and if you have anal sex you're still a virgin right catholic yeah also <laughs> this was not my first time seeing this i guess i should say it Me sounds neither. like it was i haven't seen it probably probably in like 11 10 11 years so, okay, tell me about the first time you saw this movie and why you saw it. Like, what was the context for which this movie came to be a part of your life story? <laughs> um, actually, it was it 10 or 11 years. 
I don't know. I remember seeing, I remember I watched it online somehow um, because it was always on those like lists. Uh, you know, the lists that kind of <laughs> inspired yes, this. Yes, I'm very podcast. excited to talk about that in relation to the, like, yeah, talking more about that. But anyway, yeah. So it, I always see it on those like most disturbing movie of all time lists. So I watched it. Um, I was repulsed. I don't know if I saw the entire thing the first time. And then I bought it um, from actually this cool place. It's uh, just outside of Philadelphia in Ardmore. Uh, there's like a mom and pop video rental store to this day. Ooh. Yeah. And I don't know if it was like around, um, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, but it's this guy. Um, I think he's from Paraguay, maybe. He like just has like this giant collection of movies. And now he has like a store and he rents them out. And anyway, I I went there one day. Actually, fun fact, it was because my cousins were at like a Grateful Dead cover band show and I was like I am not going in there one time I did go in there that was a nightmare for me but anyway um yeah you weren't raised by deadheads and it shows I was though my my older cousin oh, you were my older okay, cousin okay. who got me into horror movies actually is a oh, deadhead oh interesting okay, yeah that's fair. so no you were you just rejected it outright that's valid I don't know. They're they're fine, but uh, I'm not a hippie. I, I don't I don't drink or do drugs or anything. Not that all hippies do, but these hippies do. Oh, but the hippie the, the people at the fish and the Grateful Dead shows are absolutely zooted. Anyway, Bruh, this is under- <laughs> the the number of circles these people were spinning in. It was it was. I never knew that was a thing. So I like, me to tell you a story that I have about that. <laughs> yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I, I was sitting in there and I was like, everyone's spinning. How are they not dizzy? And then afterwards, I'm like talking to my cousins. I'm like, how is everyone spinning? Like I watched one time. I stayed the whole time. I watched this man spin spin in a circle even during intermission. It was like three hours. It was so crazy. I was like, how is he doing that? And they were like, they're on drugs. I was like, oh, right. Right. Are you a secret like? No, I'm not. Okay, so we're just gonna go on a tangent here. Sorry, everybody. This is just. I'm not sorry. I think they want us to not talk about this for a minute. So my parents were both deadheads. My well, this is very funny. So my mom is really was a really big fan of Grateful Dead, and then she met my dad, who sucked, and my dad made fun of her for liking Grateful Dead and now he acts like he's the biggest Grateful Dead fan of all time like acts like he's followed them everywhere like they followed so and so Fish do you know Fish? Yes. Okay. I, I don't I, I, just, I don't know. I'm I from the 90s this. too. I know. Okay. And you have great you have Deadhead. You were raised by Deadhead so you know who Fish is. And I go so, to the float place. <laughs> oh. Yes. Well, fish books everywhere. <laughs> Not kidding. So, um, so like fast forward a couple decades, uh, Fish plays the Baker's Dozen shows in Madison Square Garden. So they do thirteen shows, uh, 
when they do 13 days, 13 shows at Madison Square Garden. And my dad being the weird motherfucker that he is, him and his wife bought tickets to every single show and stayed in a hotel for the two weeks for the show. That should give you an idea of like what we're working with here. And like, they are very wealthy. Like I'm like, I will say outright, they are very wealthy. Um, the float guy does that too. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, it, I don't think it necessarily has to do with your wealth level because fish heads are crazy. But like, if you are a wealthy fish head, then you do this stuff a lot. Yeah. But so I went up one day i'd never been to a fish show i thought well why not this will be fun it wasn't fun dax it wasn't fun because my dad took molly and didn't tell anyone and he took molly with my uncle and they were both acting like fucking idiots and i was like what is going on like it was like the first half of the show they were acting weird and my dad's wife was drunk and they got into a big fight and my uncle called her a bitch and my dad was acting really weird and i didn't know he was on drugs and i got really scared but I had to take her out of the out of the venue. I missed the second half of the show. I had to take her out because she was hysterically sobbing in the middle of a crowd of a concert. Oh this god. was like five years ago. This was not that long ago. Oh my god! Like, and the whole time they were spinning in circles. It was so crazy. My, my dad was like grinding his teeth and like acting really weird and like grabbing me and like being weird. And I was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" And his wife is sobbing. I took her to a bar to calm her down. She goes, "I'm leaving your dad." And I was like, yeah. <laughs> "What?" I was like, let's not get ahead of ourselves there, friendo. Did she? No, she didn't. Mm, Of course. She forgot she said it. So the next day, like, we went, I woke up and I was pissed. I was like, I spent all night cleaning up all of your goddamn messes. Like, I'm so angry. I'm leaving. And my dad did not admit. He was like, I got roofied. I got roofied. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then he admitted, he finally admitted that he did Molly. And then never apologized for like making that entire experience an absolute disaster. What if it was like a plot twist and it was just sweet tarts and he's stupid? I would, that would be, I'm not sure that would be worse, but it would be much funnier. (laughs) But I was so mad. And like my uncle was being, oh God. But that's like, if that's an indicator of how my family like is, that's why I don't talk to my dad anymore because that shit happens. That's really wild. Every time I see him, things like that happen. That's a really wild story. <laughs> How do we get here? Right. The video store guy. So <laughs> How did we get here? It was it was during a uh you know, whatever the Grateful Dead cover band is. They're actually really good, but uh I went into his store and I'm like looking around and I'm like this is the coolest store I've ever been in in my whole life. Um and then I go in the back and I just, my eye like just goes straight to a Criterion copy of Sallow. And most of the store, you can't buy anything, but I saw this and I like grabbed it and it was like perfect. And it was like only like $15. And I was like, I need this now. And then I talked to him for three hours and it was like really crazy. But anyway, then I took that home that night and I watched the whole thing again. I was like, I don't feel good. <laughs> it's literally an entire scene where they just have a feast literally on shit. Of course, you that's what got feel. me. That's well, <laughs> so as we all know, I have 
like I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I have like terrible OCD. It's specifically about germs and uh, stomach issues. And uh, yeah, this movie was not fun. Uh, oh, rewatching Dex. it now was almost worse because <laughs> uh, I've been in a bad spot with my OCD for like a couple years. Yes, I'm in therapy. Don't worry. But uh, yeah, so when we were getting, even when you were reading the synopsis, I'm sitting here, I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. And the thing is, the fucking gag of it all is that this movie actually is not as disturbing to me as it should be. And well, not as it should be, but it's just not that disturbing. Because most of it looks like a like pretty painting and it's the same scene pretty much over and over again. Really, when you break it down, it's like yep. the one lady tells a story, then someone like takes a child into a room and you, they just disappear and then they come back and the child's sad and then like uh, then they do something like fucked up. But then it cuts back to a lady telling a story and it's just like that over and over again. I just don't, I feel like this has like a weird narrative structure. Nothing happens. Nothing happens, but everything happens. Just like you said. Yeah, exactly. Like nothing happens and everything happens because it's really just a, it's like in it and it's a very core, like in a very basic way. This is about a bunch of old people with a bunch of telling a bunch of fucked up stories in a decrepit old mansion and like torturing kids. Like that's like, that's like what it is. And it's basically a bunch of bored fascists getting their rocks off the only way they know how exercising depravity in this way where they feel like they can do whatever, like whatever they want. This is the place where they can exercise that depravity. They can experience pleasure. They can experience control and they can, it's basically a, a space of control for them because this is kind of when this Soviet, not Soviet, Jesus Christ, Soviet, <laughs> this like fascist kind of, um, fascist regime is collapsing so it's like the this is how they're grasping at the end of things and the grasping at straws in this really horrific way of trying to maintain that 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 like idea of control they've had for so long yeah and uh it's on what i was gonna say is like it's not only that they are doing these things because they can it's like they literally like can't get off unless it escalates and once they do the thing it's like not like interesting to them anymore and they don't want to do it or not that they don't want to do it it's just like well now they need another thing and then okay so they eat shit now they gotta like do this like now they gotta like do another thing and another thing and it's just gotta escalate until finally like they have no choice but to get off uh like in killing people because you can't really escalate any further than torture and anything if you can i don't want to (laughs) know but um well because i feel like this film has such a reputation as being a super disturbing movie because they eat poop like let's be like i think that's the huge thing is like they eat poop and i think that has a lot to do with why people think it's disturbing yeah and there's kids and there's kids like it the idea it's a fucked up movie like it, it in, in no stretch of the imagination will I ever say this is not a fucked up movie but I think the reputation that it has 
is overblown in terms of like this is the most fucked up movie of all time because like it's fucked up but i think there's a lot more despite me not liking it i think there's a lot more to it than people give it credit for in terms of it's kind of political message yes i agree like it's not just a serbian film where it's like here's just this fucked up shit happening over and over again like this did have more of a political inclination to it a little bit more like what I guess Pasolini would consider intelligence behind it. And so I think, yeah, it is a disturbing film that I never want to watch again for a lot of reasons. It's interesting that the, the reputation it has garnered for what it, for what it actually is as a film and like what it is trying to say as a movie and how it's all about this, like the collapse of this fascist bourgeoisie class, the decadence that is falling apart around them, like and how it's about so much more than just like eating shit and i i think that it also probably gets this reputation because it's based on that story by the marquis de sade too who was also uh like pedophile and uh you know all of those things which really both knowing so i didn't really know too much about Pasolini like besides that he's like a communist and like I I don't even remember if I knew he was gay before you told me um now it seems obvious but um the Marquis de Sade I didn't know he was a pedophile until recently like I've never I tried to read this before and I just kind of lost interest um I've seen Quill's Starring Jeffrey Rush and Kate Winslet, right? I think that's who was in it. Um, but besides that, I don't really know a ton about him. So finding out that they were both like um, pedophiles made me see this in a really different way. Because I always thought this movie was political, because uh, it is, but... Um, some people consider it like fetishistic is that a mm-hmm. word yeah um and i always was like i don't think it is i think i i think it's about you know exactly what it says it's about like fascism and shit like that but then i'm like oh maybe it is like a little bit of a fetish film because he is a pedophile uh and you know what better way to legally get off as a pedophile then make a movie and a political art movie in which you get to like have these adult men like fondle all these children especially young boys because i mean most of the film is uh the young boys getting tortured and they're naked like the whole time so knowing that made me see this in a totally different way and i also read it in a different way than you do um, mm-hmm. which we can, I guess, get into later uh, if you want, or I can get into it now. No, just do it now. That, I mean, that, that's like a great transition. Yeah, I. Um, so you mentioned like that it's about like the fall of fascism and, and all of that, like, uh, you know, it coming apart. But to me, when I watch it, I see it as like how this absolute power is just passed on and like those young guys I 
where are they the studs are like uh they're like proteges almost you know what i'm talking about they're mm-hmm. gonna go on to do the yeah. same thing like at the beginning they seem maybe uncomfortable or just not involved and by the end they're super involved and having fun and um you know they're they don't think it's weird anymore and uh they're gonna go on to do the same thing and then it's just gonna so i read it more like uh this power structure is never ending that's how i see it i don't know if that's okay right or wrong but uh i always i found that interesting I don't, so i guess i don't read it different ways and and because i don't now that i'm looking back i don't know where i got that it was at the end of fascism or at the end of like I, where it was like taking place towards the end of the fascist republic of solo which was around from, which was around from uh 1943 to 1945 and i saw this film as like that I, that's how i read it and like saw it as the like the beginning of the end of that but no that's interesting um the way you read it as well but is the, the title card at the beginning isn't there that title card at the beginning that explains i don't remember because i was just rolling my eyes probably because uh you know it's takes place in like nazi occupied italy and he's like equating like sallow to hell and like the all the political leaders are the leaders of hell and i was just like okay we get it okay yes okay so this is 1944 to 1945 so it is towards the end okay. of that okay well i mean again that's also me in class i think we talked about that in class i wasn't trying to no it's fine i was well, just trying to remember what, so, that ti- it's like, what that title um, maybe, card said. i mean even so like those power structures are still in place because i think that's like an overall well, like, exactly yeah thing. as a communist i would think that he has a problem with all those kinds of power structures and I think all of those different guys represent yes. the leaders from all different sorts, you know? Well, yeah. And like, especially this took place, like the, the movie, the movie takes place 1944 to 1945, but it was made in 1975. So Pasolini is still talking about like the prevalence of fascism in the 1970s in Italy. He talks about that a lot. He is a communist. He talks about that a lot in his poetry and a lot of his manifestos. That man had a lot of opinions. He really yeah, loved to write. Pretty opinions. If you ask me. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's okay but, not um, to be super subtle. Yeah. No, he was not. Uh, Pasolini was not a subtle person. And that's fine. Um, still not a huge fan, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think he was, I think, and having it set at the end of this, this like fascist, society but it also does kind of put credence to like yeah this is coming to an end now but these are still universal themes that we see continuing on about like complicit like especially with the ending with the soldiers just being kind of complicit to what happened they're dancing and just like shooting the shit and acting like nothing happened and how also so often we are ready to turn a blind eye to atrocities to what makes us feel better as compared to like really addressing the truth because it's either you kill yourself like the pianist or you just completely like don't think about it like those two soldiers well so (laughs) i think we're both right i was gonna say um yeah i mean further proving that point 
the soldiers feel um, distanced from it because they're far, mm-hmm. they're literally far away from it. They're upstairs in the mansion, I guess it is, like looking down through a window. So, and then on top of it, you know, the other dudes have the um, binoculars that they're looking through. And then they even flip yeah. the binoculars so that they're, it's like even further away. They're even more distanced from it, yep. which I read as, you know, distancing themselves from the atrocities, but also, yeah, uh, you know, it, it kind of probably. I don't know. I'm like tripping over my words because I'm trying to find them, but it it basically plays more into the fetish because it's like a voyeurism fetish at that point, right? So if they're like even further away from it, that's like, I don't know, more exciting, I guess. That's the feeling I got. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to put a pin in that really quick because before we go to that, because I want to talk about the ending in relation to that, because I think the ending is one of the, like, again, like I said, like the cool, most interesting part, but just like going back to when talking about the degradation of fascism, I think another thing that really stuck out in my head with that is that the house that they're in and the setting that they're in is completely falling apart. Like this isn't a nice, this is like a once nice palace that obviously was very big and very beautiful, but the paint is chipping and the rooms aren't fully furnished and everything's kind of dingy and a little bit gross. So it's like, it has this like dingy glamor to it, but it's ultimately like a shell of what it once was, which I think kind of speaks to the larger attitude of these um, men in power is like, they're not what they once were. And they're trying to reclaim some kind of like glory day, but it is not working. And it is devolving into what we see at the very end of the film, which is this like relentless torture of young people in the back and like the back garden. But so we're watching this torture from up high. So there's the, the garden and there's a boy getting his tongue cut out. And the men, the four men are watching from a window inside. So we're not, and the audience and the camera is with them. And a la some of that killer POV you see in Jaws and Halloween, we are shown like, like we are also looking through the binoculars at these moments of torture which equates, which puts us in the seat of these men that we have been just kind of absolutely disgusted with the entire time who we've seen raping and torturing and manipulating and these, these children the whole time. And then we're put in their shoes at the very end, which is so fucking uncomfortable. And again, it's, and that on top of that, it speaks to that voyeurism aspect. Like you are very much aware that you yourself are watching this happen and you or yourself are in a voyeuristic position as the audience. Like you've sat here and watched the movie the whole time. Like you've been watching this shit. It's gross and you don't like it, but you're still watching it. And here you are. And I think having that moment with the binocular, like looking like joking through binoculars really hammers that point home. And it's kind of like a giant middle finger, I think from Pasolini to the audience, like, yeah, you're disgusted by me, but like, yeah, you're still here. And you are kind of in their shoes the whole, not in their shoes, but you're watching it the whole time. And then he literally puts you yeah. in their shoes. But it, I do think it's interesting that like, yep. I feel like it's 
I I mean, I I I don't know if you know about this, but like it seems like it's he like tried to make us not feel anything like the like we feel so overwhelmed by everything going on that we don't feel anything. Is that like I yeah. mean maybe I'm just fucked up, but uh no, but I, I agree with that because it is hard to like there's so much it it feels like almost like a defense mechanism too, where like you it starts off terrible. Yeah. So you're like, all right, it's you have to not care up the whole time and you're given a dis but and you have a distance from it a little bit. Like, yeah, you see him shit on the floor and her eat it and you see them fondling these children and you see all these bad things happen but there's a distance with the camera but then when you are literally put there to look at it it's so different it's just like a completely different way of confronting the disturbing content you've seen on the screen and the different way of interacting with it in a way that really hits home like yeah oh god Oh, and especially in this and then that the moment that you see when he's getting his tongue cut out, which looks very real. And I think he's also getting castrated. Is he also getting castrated? I can't remember. I don't know. Let's focus <laughs> on the tongue. <laughs> but like, it's gruesome. And the, again, the entire movie is gruesome, but it's not as gory as that, I guess. And that moment is just very like shocking. A very, very like yeah shocking moment at the end. And the scalping too. Oh yeah, the scalping. Same thing. Yeah, it's, it's I like guess a huge tonal shift. It feels like, which sounds wild, it is. but it's I know it's like so weird to say that. But there's a massive tonal shift at the very like in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, for sure. I just wanted to clarify. It's like it, it's not that I didn't care while I was watching. It's just I think that it's purposeful, like uh, that Pasolini makes it so we don't really get to know any of the uh victims mm-hmm. in the in the movie and um i think that he we do spend more time with the you know collaborators um who are like the story storytellers and the guards as well as of course the like men in power and we keep saying like men in power and shit like that because they actually don't have names which i also think is on purpose because it could be anyone it's just men and it's literally just men in power (laughs) it could be any man in power um well like the president the magistrate the bishop the duke like those are all titles of power that anyone could have it's not like it's just a, a person again a person with a powerful position yeah Though we, they do sometimes give us the names of like their victims, I guess. Yeah, like we but, know some of the names of the ch- the children. The women have names as well, um, which is interesting. That like the men are kind of thought more of like these. <laughs> what I'm keeping that in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what I was trying to say. The burp distracted me. So, moving on. You were saying. Um, the men are considered more of it's like the way the way it's like these men are more like shot not shadowy figures but they're more like faceless yes they're more faceless because it's like those male figures are the ones that are always assumed to be the ones in charge in situations like this and that women who are there like co-conspirators or like 
like play along with that aren't the same as the men who are perpetrating the atrocities. They're just following to, you know, save themselves and that kind of thing, which I think might be an inherently like other way, maybe an inherently problematic way to think about like complicity complicity from women in those situations. But still, I think in in my head, Pasolini had the men be these like faceless figures because they're the ones that are always going to be perpetuating the problems. Like these women are just co-conspirators that are trying to keep like save themselves and they don't necessarily get it's like the the higher power men are the ones that are getting like really railed on in terms of like no pun intended (laughs) um and the women aren't really you know what i mean like the women are obviously a part of it and they're tell but they're they're telling stories like they're facilitators you know what i mean like they're more facilitators than the ones perpetrating the acts even though they do some horrendous things you know what i mean does that make sense like it's it's hard it's like nebulous because the roles aren't it's like not necessarily everyone's in a set role but the men are in charge the women are facilitators and the victims are the victims so there's like a hierarchy of power here and like who Pasolini is really like shitting on no pun intended (laughs) well yeah that's i think yeah, we're kind of saying the same thing about the guy, the men is that they're like yeah. more interchangeable. It's just like literally their whole like sim- what they symbolize is literally men in power. And then the women in the movie, they do literally facilitate everything. One guy says that he used one of the women to beat some of the kids like to make mm-hmm. them feel safe. And then also they're facilitating by their whole purpose for being there is telling these fucked up stories um, in order to um, arouse the men. Like that's the whole point of these stories that we're, we're hearing. We think they're disgusting stories, but these guys think they're like the most erotic stories of all time, you know? So that's literally them facilitating like, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I, I guess what I mean is that um, I think it's purposeful that we don't get to spend a lot of time with the kids. I think that Pasolini is dehumanizing them, like, within the movie because they're being dehumanized, but also possibly for our benefit. Like, um, I don't know if I want to give them that credit, but... It's like it's not easy to watch either way, but it would somehow be harder if we got to know these characters and did see them as more of people than like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like we don't see them as people. I know, but like the thing is like, we've seen these movies where we're in the shoes of the torture. Like think Saw or Hostel. Like these are the kind of the movies that are popping yeah. into my head. Like we are following the victims. We are kind of along with their emotion, their emotional journey, their physical pain, et cetera. And then it, it makes it all the more worse when you're seeing like this small group of people getting tortured. But here, I think you still, I don't think you need to be close to them to feel that pain in the first place. But I also think that 
if he was going to focus on them, he wouldn't be able to focus on every single one of those kids and they would privilege one story over the other, which I don't think is the point. You know what I mean? Like, I think that yeah. would like, change the whole message. I agree. And so it's more like you're viewing these kids as the ma- as like a sample of the masses of people who are affected by fascism. And it's yes. like, you can identify with that and you get to know some of them a little bit more than others. Like Renata, you know, her mother was killed and she wants to go back to her mom. And like, you get those little glimpses, but- it, it's not about like I don't think Pasolini thinks you need to sympathize them with them any more than he already like makes you because it's like they are yeah. in this horrendous situation. And it's not so, about the kids at all, weirdly, even though they're yeah, the victims. It's the whole not time. exactly like it is and I think one of the reasons why it is so disturbing is because we're focusing more on these creepy old dudes. Like we're meant to kind of see from their perspective, which is fucked. Yeah. Ugh. And I think you ew, said. Oh God! The more that I'm talking about this movie, the more I appreciate it. Ugh, fine. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you appreciate this no, movie. No, I think it's important that I appreciate it because I do think it's like an interesting film. I think it's really. There's so much symbolism, but it's, it's like weird, right? Because yeah. Um. Well, so we were saying that it's very heavy-handed, but at the same time, all the symbolism is really hidden. I feel like. Um, yeah. to the point where you might miss it if you don't know like history or whatever like you know what I mean it is the most pretentious it is and I hate that I just it said that is the well but no it's like it's the most it's like it is the most pretentious movie about shit that I have seen and probably ever will see because Pasolini also has all these references like philosophy and like history and Nietzsche the, and, yeah Nietzsche yeah. and like this there's beautiful music playing so there's all these really weird artistic references mixed in with these really awful torture moments and it's like I think it comes to a point where Pasolini is just doing way too much and trying to pack too many things in. it's almost like he's overcompensating for like the disturbing nasty parts I'm like, but look look at these artistic references. I don't, and I think that's, but Pasolini does that a lot in the works that I've seen of his, where I feel like it's a lot going on at once. And there's like a lot of hidden meanings and hidden references in his stuff that are both interesting, but also like, you're really laying it on thick here, dude. Like really, like he, again, he had a lot to say. And sometimes he doesn't say it very clearly. I don't think like he says it's weird. Because I think he says a lot of things very clearly, but then there are other things he's trying to say that don't come through. So he's saying so much all the time and you're only really understanding maybe about half of what he's trying to say. Yeah, especially because you do get caught up in the in the imagery, which is like shocking. Yeah. Like e- even, even the shit eating scene is like when you break that down, what is it it's the men in power feeding the people shit you know like you're gonna eat it but yeah. the other but the, the, thing, the thing on top of that too is that they call it a delicacy like there's a whole discussion one of the women is talking about how they should be lucky that they're able to eat the delicate delicacy like delicacy that is poop and they go on and on and on about like the joys of eating feces so it's not just like it's not just like oh my god a girl 
also the cover of the criterion is the scene of her eating the shit off the floor just so everyone knows like that is that scene like her crouching like that person crouching in the heels that's her eating shit off the floor with a spoon um in case you were wondering thank you but it goes even deeper than that when he tried like he has this woman have this like very long monologue about I won't go into it for you, Dax. It's a lot, but like it's. I already, I already watched it. Like about three times. Getting diarrhea and like being very excited about getting diarrhea and being able to eat someone else's feces. Like I wanted to kill her. I wanted to kill her. And she's like smiling and she's just so happy. And that to me is even worse because like okay, you saw you saw someone eat poop. It's gross. But then like you hear this person talking about it being a beautiful thing. Which is, I, I think it's fascinating, but also like, uh, I can't see my face. This is a podcast, but just like, <laughs> yeah, what? But it's also like that's <laughs> those are the lies that they feed us too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You said something that made my brain light up, and it okay. was uh, saw and hostile because. I don't like the phrase torture porn. Yeah. But wouldn't you say this would be a torture porn movie? Like if there ever was one? I think so. Yeah. Because it's not like torture porn movies don't say anything. I really hate that phrase. I can't stress enough how much I hate it because I think it's like reductive. But, uh, you know, it's not like torture porn movies are actual just torture porn they just get off on you know violence or whatever some of them do have plenty to say yeah you're gonna get me on my soapbox are you ready for this is it hostile no torture porn in general and the important cultural context of torture porn how torture porn is very is our is the american reaction to 9-11 and how those films were us processing these images of torture we were seeing from like Abu Ghraib and like the online kind of beheading videos we were seeing but also dealing with the violence like the violence of war that we were dealing with in that era that a lot of us hadn't really like seen a lot as we were like as we were growing up hadn't really dealt with that like this was kind of our gener this is like our big part of our big thing in our generation this is our like new french extremity movement, well exactly really. and like yeah because new french extremity kind of came from a similar a similar place but torture mm-hmm. porn like hostile and saw came from that both that it absolutely did yeah exposure to graphic images but also to this hopelessness of us being attacked and like there being no rhyme or reason to what's going on and like the absolute destruction of the of the human body nothing is sacred and like torture porn i think is a really important thing subgenre genre that is shit on because of what it it is and yeah not all torture porn is like has a lot to say but i think that the context of torture porn at large is really is really crucial and this the point i'm I'm making here is that it it that solo is very much almost like a precursor to that because not a lot of people were making like politically inclined gory things like this in horror i mean like horror obviously has always been political and this may not be technically considered a horror movie but i think it is a horror movie it, it has, has to be yeah like it is a precursor to torture porn because this is like it torture lots of it all so the time much of it. constantly and, and literal like, and full of it torture and pornography porn, but, like, yeah so yeah and i think that it has that political co- like that very intense political context that 
like serves as, a, as that base. So I, I agree with you that I think this is a precursor to what we think of torture porn is now. And again, like makes me think about how people are like, oh, movies are so gory and gross nowadays. But like, this was in 1975. Like this was, this was like. Yeah, they were, were looking- capable of it. <laughs> yeah. And they were being made. They just weren't in the main, weren't as in the mainstream as like movies like, you know, Saw obviously is like constantly is like the big thing and hostels is a big it was a big franchise and saw is a big franchise still but it's not new (laughs) certainly not and yeah yeah it's just uh it's interesting well also this couldn't reach the mainstream really because it's banned like fucking everywhere yes so okay that 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 is a good kind of transition to talking about the release of this movie and the death of Pasolini because this movie yes. came out three weeks after Pasolini was murdered. And there's a lot of like conspiracies about like he was killed because of this movie being so graphic. Someone assassinated him. There was like a mob, mob potential to like a, ex- getting extorted for like roles of film from the film, from the movie, et cetera, et cetera. But he was like, he was hit by a car um he his penis was mutilated i believe oh my um it was a pretty let me just i knew he was i i always saw he was murdered but it was proven to be a murder right yeah there yeah because he was hit by a car yeah i didn't know hold on i think let me just pull this up the uh, mutilation thing oh sorry his yeah his uh his testicles were crushed by what appeared to be a metal bar um so someone had like you know crushed his balls um he also was uh supposedly lit on fire uh partially lit on fire hit by a car multiple times oh my god i just thought Uh, he was murdered by being hit by a car i didn't know all this um his body was set it was set on fire after death it was um often thought to be a mafia style revenge killing but that's just a theory. it's just a theory um give me the whole history right now so let me just read this to you so he was murdered on november 2nd 1975 um he'd run over so he was run over several times by his own car multiple bones were his broken. own car yes by his own car multiple bones were broken his testicles were crushed by what appeared to be a metal bar and an autopsy revealed that his body had been partially burned with gasoline after death the crime was long viewed as a mafia-style revenge killing, when extremely unlikely to have been carried out by only one person. Uh, Giuseppe Pelosi was uh, then 17 years old, was caught driving Pasolini's car and confessed to the murder. He was convicted in 1976, initially with unknown others, but this phrase was later removed from the verdict. 29 years later, in 2005, uh, Pelosi retracted his confession, which he had made under the threat of violence to his family. He claimed that three other people had committed the murder, insulting Pasolini as a dirty communist. Other evidence uncovered in 2005 suggested that Pasolini had been murdered by an extortionist. Testimony by Pasolini's friend Sergio Citti indicated that some of the roles of film from Solo had been stolen and that Pasolini had planned to meet with the thieves to get the footage back. Um, his investigation uncovered additional evidence, including a bloody wooden stick and an eyewitness who saw a group of men pull Pasolini out of the car. 
they the Rome police reopened the case after Pelosi's retraction, but the judges responsible for the investigation found that the new elements were insufficient to justify it and continued inquiry. So there is no like definitive like he died he was murdered he was hit by a car but it's still it's pretty unclear as to who did it and why wow yeah but a lot i mean a lot of the theories have to do with the the topic of the movie of the critique of government of religion uh, of these of homosexuality pornography it was banned everywhere so uh the the prevailing theory is that it had to do with both Pasolini's political views and also how it was translated into this this film. That is fascinating. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't even think about the religious part because it's like basically in the movie religion, any religious thing is banned. Yep. Which yeah. is interesting because you said he was Catholic, right? Grew up Catholic at least. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't think he is anymore. Wow, that's a crazy uh, murder story. Yes. There's got to be a podcast on that, right? I'm going to look it up. Probably. I mean, he had a fa- he was a fascinating person. And like, I think my perception of him was colored by the fact that my professor like idolized him to the point of not wanting to discuss any of like the nuances of Pasolini and who he was as a person. So I got... I get frustrated thinking about Pasolini as like in that context of feeling like, why wouldn't we like want to understand the nuances of this guy who was obviously very complicated and had very complicated relationships with politics and himself and his parents and like socio like I like his, he loved Italy and he hated Italy and the whole like his all of his films and his writings were just like full of this like push and pull in his mind about that and I just don't think I was, my studies did did that justice to that. That's that professor did a bad job. He gave me a B plus and I know it's not a bad grade, but I was told that a B plus on my transcripts would mean that I'd never get into a PhD program. So I had a panic, uh, panic, a panic attack. Oh, this is in your master's program, wasn't it? Yeah, that's why. I was told that if I got a B, if I had got anything less than an A on a transcript, then I was probably not going to be accepted into any programs. And look at you now. Not in a PhD program. <laughs> I'm sorry. On purpose, though. On purpose. <laughs> <laughs> look at you now. Not in a PhD. <laughs> it that just seemed like the natural next thing to say. But that also made me realize. Well, and like, so that class and that attitude about the B plus was a big kick in my ass in realizing that academia is full of people like this who like, have an obsession with yeah. one thing and don't want to have a discussion about it. They just want to talk at you about it. And if you don't have their opinion, the same opinion, they will just give you a bad grade and tell you you're wrong. And that's Absolutely. a lot of academia. Like, yeah, people like you can go in and change that. But like, do I really want to fight old white men for the rest of my life? Not in that context. I and mean, I probably will anyway. Cause like, that's just like the nature of being a woman, but <laughs> like, I wonder if uh, he had not been such an asshole and like you got a better, um, I don't know, experience out of that class. I feel like you would, you would probably still feel the same about the movie and about 
Pasolini in general because he was who he was but I don't think that professor helped you to like appreciate his other work at all which this is actually uh interesting that this movie I didn't expect that we would touch on this but like it does a little bit make us have to talk about um separating you know art from artists don't you yeah yeah I agree and like that was the thing too I feel like the professor thought I was trying to like cancel Pasolini and I was like no one he's dead I I was like (laughs) this is this was a while ago right like how long ago was your Uh, master's program it was in 2019 so two years what no it wasn't was it oh I don't know I just no 2019 I thought it was was, uh Steve longer ago than that but also I no 2019 because i got my job i got my job okay now in 2019 so i came back i just find it odd that we weren't like close friends until like (laughs) this year i because i whatever but i just felt like i already knew you like you know but but yeah that was 29 that wasn't that long ago huh no like it wasn't I, ago. that's why i thought it was like a while ago no i finished my master's in 2019 huh huh time fucking magnets yeah no it how is does that work <laughs> <laughs> no yeah because a facebook memory popped up from graduation for two years ago i was like that was both forever ago and also yesterday um yeah <laughs> but yeah anyway yeah, he probably did think you were like trying to cancel him, and, and like, like I think wasn't that trying was trying to talk about it. Well, and I think that was so frustrating because like the class, so he was a professor of Italian history, and so it was like an Italian history film study, like film study cross listing, and so everyone except for like, almost every single person in that class was an Italian history person, not film studies. So me coming at it from a film studies perspective and. I was coming at it from a very different perspective and like no one else in the class had the same like feelings I did about it, which was, I think was more frustrating too. I'm like, is no one else like kind of concerned that we're not talking about like. Well, I guess cause his identity. And I suspect if you're in such a niche uh, program as Italian history, their identity probably is so closely intertwined with, Pasolini's work first of all but also just Italian uh art and and cinema and everything it probably felt like a personal attack I also think they knew his this professor and like kind of knew not to like do that and I didn't right (laughs) how many Italian history professors could there be in one school so yeah you're probably right I was like that there were a lot of factors me and that professor just butt heads all the time like I couldn't do anything right in that class. It's fine. I suspect you could have probably stepped on him very easily. He was half my height. Yep, so am I. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I tried so hard to get on his good side. I went to all of his office hours and he was so nice in office hours, but I think that man just did not like me. Well, he probably didn't like being publicly challenged either. Um, and like on top of it probably feeling like a personal attack or whatever it's like 
I don't know, get a grip, dude. But <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, if you, if you, a scholar and past Lini cannot, cannot address the fact that he did in fact have sex with 15 year old boys, and like, per- perhaps you should not be considered a scholar on past Lini. Yeah. And that's a generous way of putting that. But whatever. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I feel bad because like it's obviously like that's this is very much based on my own very personal experience with the movie but it is colored by that experience I had with that professor in that class because boy oh boy yeah. also again, talking about talking about that movie in a classroom setting is also really fucking difficult <laughs> I'm sure it is because everyone is like what the hell especially people who aren't film majors no like, and that was subjecting the other thing them to this yeah and it was just like it's probably even difficult i mean it's difficult for us to like find our words and i mean we're not film majors but well i guess you were but you're not right now in film studies thank you but you know what i mean like whatever the fuck we're film people (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's still like difficult for us to like even talk about just because it's a lot first of all it's just a lot it's a lot like it's the whole thing's a lot like hmm, tell me about how you felt when you watched an entire banquet scene of them serving dishes of shit out to a giant banquet table and a woman talked about diarrhea yeah and this, like i don't really yeah. want to i don't know how to talk about it in my class in a classroom setting other than like g- fucking gross yeah and like yeah i get that we're not it's not just poopy poopy gross fart but like <laughs> a lot of the movie is poopy poopy gross fart (laughs) like yeah it is and like creepy like gross old men fondling children like it's hard to look past that because that's all the movie is it's like yeah cool there's a political message there but it still makes me uncomfortable yeah i wonder yeah i wish he hadn't done that (laughs) with your uh first viewing experience because i mean i still feel I felt that way even before, like, like I said, before I knew that uh, Pasolini was like a pedophile or what, what is the word when they like go, they prey on like teenagers, you know what I'm talking about? Whatever. Oh, it, is there a different that word? one? Yeah. It's a different word. Oh. Um, before I knew that I still, you know, had my issues with the movie and but overall I saw it as more like political and then after knowing that I was like okay like maybe this is just a creeper movie um but I don't think it is just a creeper movie I think it's a political movie that happens to be a creeper movie you know what I mean yeah I agree. but not having that shitty classroom experience kind of helped me like parse my own feelings on it and yeah. come to my own conclusions rather than you know well now i'm gonna hate it yeah because you're an asshole professor well and also and like having this conversation it's helped me like parse out my feelings more and like appreciate this movie still think it's a pretentious art house film that like is just doing way too much and way too little all at the same time and it's very confusing i appreciate it more for what it is and also think that this film gets a very has a very interesting reputation that is based in reality but also is sensationalized to a point where i don't think it can necessarily be placed in the same level as like a serbian film or a film like human centipede like right vi- like the visuals and some of the things that happen are similar in terms of like gross but they're 
very different like tonally politically artistically too i would say yeah exactly like they're very different movies so it's hard for me to like see those as similar yeah but at the same time it's almost like this movie i think might be getting a pass for a lot of things because you know of its own lore like it was banned for however long and like you know what I mean yeah and like it was banned I'm not about censorship is bad but in 1975 it like it had a lot of aspects in that time period that it's and like and now it wouldn't be banned now but it certainly would not be getting distribution like very wide distribution so it, it would be a Serbian film yeah like, it would if be. it was released now yeah you know so yeah, it's it's weird. It exists in this weird space of being both very disturbing and I never want to watch it again. But also like a little bit different than those other movies, but not really because like we shouldn't give it, like you said, we shouldn't get a pass because it's an art house movie. Yeah, it's not like I don't think it, like, I don't know how I feel about that. I would have to think about it more. It's not that I 100% don't think it should get a pass, but I think it does get a pass a it's lot the of the time. Criterion Collection. Well, I didn't want to go there, but. I'm going there. It's in the Criterion Collection. And we are so, like, Criterion has some good horror movies, but not a lot of them. And this is one of the ones that you decide to put in the Criterion Collection. Like, a lot of his movies are in the Criterion Collection. This trilogy they of life are. is, which is fine. Like the trilogy of life movies are good. They're they're great movies. Whatever. This one, I honestly don't think needs to be in the Criterion Collection. Like I'm just saying, like the trilogy of life movies get that point across just fine. And if you're gonna put Solo, then like let's talk about other horror movies you should be putting in the Criterion Collection. Just because that fucker came out in 1975 and he's dead does not mean that it deserves to be in the revered halls of the criteria collected am i gonna buy it maybe i mean i did i look i, <laughs> I was again my I'll challenge that i will Fine. challenge that because come at me um i think i do appreciate this movie a little bit more than you do possibly because you're a shitty professor um like do i love this movie no like i like I really appreciate parts of it. Like, I do think the end is genuinely great. Like, yes, I do. Agree I think it has know. a perfect ending um, for, <laughs> for this movie, you know? Um, I think it's fair to include in the Criterion Collection because it was very bold to have even created this movie I know, but don't Fine. you think so? No, you're right. <laughs> it was so, you it was, and it's like right. not even trying to hide how political it is, but at the same time, you know, it does hide a lot of its individual messages. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. On top of that, it's, I would say, pretty well directed. Oh, I know. I know. know. And I I think it has pretty good writing, too. I I think it can be a little choppy when you're watching it because it goes like from scene to scene to scene. But at the same time, you're not going to forget some of those images like that image of those boys 
the naked boys with the dog leashes crawling up the stairs like that's gonna probably stay with me forever and it's like not even just because it's disturbing it's because it it like looks good it looks cool it's it is disturbing you know um i don't know there's probably i mean there's some good effects in there too for the time i know i'm i'm not trying to make you like this movie (laughs) but i think i think it's fair to include just just solely based on um how fucking bad shit it is you know i guess okay i think organized chaos i think my frustration is being misdirected i think that that movie should be an example of how we should put some more bad shit stuff into Criterion. Oh, I absolutely agree. That I think is probably more what I meant and I just misdirected it. Well, no, I agree. If if it was between this movie, like if you could only choose like this movie and like, I don't know, what's another one that's probably going to go in eventually? I don't even want to say some of the ones. Um, (laughs) I want to know everything that's running through your head right now it, it was midsummer that was the first one that came do you to really mind. think they'll make that a criterion i do you think they would i think they'd I make think, hereditary before they do i think summer i think they will probably make both of those really okay yeah here's one get out if you could yeah only, if you could only pick this movie or get out i'm not saying that i think get out is a better movie I don't know. I'd have to think about it, but I would probably pick that like over this, like if you can only have one, but that's not how it works. So I think it should stay. And I think they should have way more horror movies. And I think they will because the horror community is probably the loudest. I mean, where are the, where's the rom-com community when like nowhere, they don't exist. <laughs> You right. Oh, I don't want to know if they do, but yeah. But um, anything else you want to talk about with Solo? I think I yelled about everything I needed to yell about. I think we touched on everything. Cool. Well, everybody, so that's Solo or 120 Days of Solemn by Pierre Paolo Pasolini. Um. Honestly, I don't know if you should watch this one or not. I think I think it has a lot of merit in terms of filmmaking, in terms of Pasolini being an auteur. I think it, <laughs> I think it has a lot of good like merit in terms of film history. Um, but there, it's it's not easy to watch, and it's hard to find streaming. Um, but you can buy it. A Criterion Collection piece of film history so i don't know i'm i err on the side of if you don't really need to watch it i don't think you're i think you're okay i just i never want to watch it again i'm good i've seen it twice now i'm good i think i'm i've maxed out i think i'm gonna live to regret saying on this podcast that i would pick get out over (laughs) over sallow (laughs) i don't even know if i believe that i'm tired (laughs) I'm glad that that's your final note. <laughs> I'm tired, man. Um, <laughs> I do. I think people should watch this movie. I think it's worth watching at least once in your life. Uh, if you're curious enough and if you can handle really 
it's not even just fucked up imagery it's really disgusting imagery and it's the whole fucking movie like there is never a break like it is the whole movie you just are like dumped right into no pun intended just (laughs) like right into it like two hours frame one and it's all of it yeah so if you can handle two hours of depravity and disgusting just nastiness um i would say watch it i'm sure there are people who are listening to this right now saying this movie is not disturbing at all and like to some extent i get what they're saying like uh it it it, i think that's probably not as disturbing as people make it seem but it is yeah I yes. can't like describe it. I agree with you. I think it's something that you have to watch the movie to really understand what we're talking about. But like that, it's it's this weird thing where it's like, I don't think it's even close to, to the, be the most fucked up movie we've talked, we have talked about or will talk about on this podcast. I think like on the surface, it looks like it's just, it's ridiculously fucked up. But like compared to stuff we've already talked about, and even our next director's like films, I think this is not even remotely close to that. Yeah, it, it's really tough, like to even describe, really. Yeah. Um. But uh, I think there's a lot there that's, if not, if not intellectually interesting, I think visually interesting. Um, where I think if you're really into this kind of stuff, or even just film generally it might be worth it to you to watch but if you never watch it I don't think you're really missing out yeah at the same time you know like yeah it's it's nasty it's really nasty it's not one where I'm like oh but you gotta watch it like there we have covered movies where I think they're nasty and I think you've got to watch it yep you know yeah but this is not one of them yeah I don't think necessarily like I think there and I think there are also movies with political messages um like this that are just better what are they off the top of my head you may ask i don't fucking know don't ask me questions right now (laughs) Uh, don't um, ask me to back up my claims (laughs) what do you think this is like professional who the fuck do you think i am yeah i hope that made sense i think you know what i mean and i think you're right you do have to like see it to understand that it is not as fucked up as it's made to seem, but it is really fucked up and probably like it is. It is fucked yeah. up in a way that you I can't don't, brace yourself. Yeah, it is fucked up in a way that I don't think any of those lists prepare you for. I think they yeah. rely on the surface level shock value feces stuff, but don't really look even deeper into like the deeper, like kind of philosophical. Uh, right that comes and <laughs> that's how i describe yeah. it <laughs> that is how i will be describing how this movie makes me feel yeah it's just yeah it's difficult to even explain or describe or whatever so um if you think you can handle that go ahead if not cool you listen to our podcast and we did we i think we did it justice i think we touched on everything like important about it should I, agree. I just keep complimenting us? Yes, forever. <laughs> um, so that about does it for this week's episode of Watch Once Never Again. Next week, we are starting our next big 
director series. Yay. <laughs> Dax, what are we doing? Uh, we are doing uh, Catherine Briot. Who is she, you may ask? We're going to do Catherine Briot. She, yeah, she's a French, she's a female French director who did, or she most notably is known for the film Fat Girl. Another is, Criterion movie. Which is, is it in the Criterion Collection. But a lot of her films are very, very sexually explicit and look at the very dark sides of human sexuality. So we will be doing a four film series, I believe, on her, um, from her. So we'll be starting with Fat Girl next week. Yep. So get ready for our next director series. And maybe one day we'll do things that are more well known. Who knows? Maybe we won't. You love us anyway. <laughs> so everyone, thank you for listening to Watch Once Never Again. Uh, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Wona Podcast. That's at W-O-N-A Podcast. And if you have any ideas of films we should cover or directors we should cover, send us an email. Wona Podcast at, I know I almost burped again. Wona Podcast at gmail.com. You should also follow us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Daxi Bobbin. And you can find all that stuff in the description of the podcast if you can't spell. Um, so until next time, folks. Bye. Bye.